Hello and welcome to the Sea of Startups, where we dive into the stories behind the startups in Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin, Managing Partner of Indelible Ventures. Now, if you're a founder or funder looking to learn more about what drives the startups in Southeast Asia, this podcast is for you. We're about to sit down with founders to uncover the unique insights into the origins and motivations behind launching their startups. We'll uncover the stories behind the struggles, the ups, the downs guided from the view of an entrepreneur. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's show. All right, my guest today is Sharma Lachu, the co-founder of Ascendo. For those of you who don't know, Ascendo is a talent intelligence platform company that helps organizations revolutionize how to attract, assess, align, develop, and retain top talent, both inside and outside of the company. Uh, thank you very much for being here today, Sharma. Kevin, thank you very much. I don't know. I've I've had heard so much about you. I've had so many things spoken about you. So I'm I'm very happy to to be here, part of this this chat. I very much appreciate the kind words, Sharma. So I I do want to know because I, it leaves a lot to kind of unpack of that kind of intro statement of who Ascendo is. But before we get into that, I'm just kind of curious on how you started off on your entrepreneurial journey and how that linked up to Ascendo uh, as well. So I, I think maybe let me let me start with you know my childhood a little bit and perhaps that will give a little bit of, of context as to who Sharma is, where Sharma's come from, right? Um, you know, as as you reached out to to have this this session, I was just trying to think back a little bit, and I remember in a, in another podcast I had um, spoken about you know the journeys or, or the the moments in time uh, where I've I've learned certain things. You know, there, there's a theory out there that that speaks about pivotal moments in your life that very has very little to do with work, right? So you, between the ages of about five to twenty-one, you go through eight to ten things in life that really shape who you are as a person. Um, and I forget the the specific theory. Uh, I'll find it out and and come back to you on that. Uh, but as I was going through these processes, right, um, three four things came to mind. Uh, and perhaps let me set the scene there a little bit. Right? So you speak about the entrepreneurial spirit and where, where that came from. Um, I think the very first entrepreneurial endeavor I had uh, was selling. I was, I think, 10. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're four, right? Uh, about 10, 10, 11 years old. Um, and I noticed my neighbor was, was selling uh, in Malaysia. We've got this banana chips. Right, mm-hmm. uh, creepy. Uh, so I'm I'm from Kuantan. I'm from the east coast of Malaysia, uh, and and you know, my neighbor was doing this as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I noticed, you know, a lot of these aunties around the the neighborhood would come in and, and buy these big bags of, of um, these banana chips. Um, and I reached out. To her. I went to a house one day and said, "Hey, can you do me small packets so I could t- take it to the uh, to school?" Uh, and try and sell it at school, right? So she would sell it for $2 uh, in and around the neighborhood. I asked her to do me 20 cents packets so I could take it to school and sell it. Um, and, and the buzz I got from that, I thought was really, really interesting. Uh, so that, that was actually my first entrepreneurial endeavor, right? Um, one thing I realized at that point is, is you know, 
the ability to identify an opportunity is going to be interesting, right? Uh, so I, I thrive in that process. Hmm. Uh, the second part about Sharma is, you know, I come from a sports background. Uh, I played football very, very seriously um, for uh, school uh, up to junior state level, right? Okay. Um, and, and this is maybe not the, the nicest thing to hear, uh, but throughout <laughs> that time, uh, you know, I'd always been told about, you know, sorry, not the right skin color, sorry, not the, the right race, all that kind of stuff, right? Now, you can choose to play victim and, and you know, and say, oh, look, so sorry for Sharma. But that's not what happened, right? So I very early on had realized that, okay, if, if this is the case, uh, and again, this is not unique to Malaysia, yeah? So I've played football in Australia. I've played mm. All this happens everywhere, right? Um, but I, I very early on realized that for me not to be ignored, I cannot then be just this much better than the next person. I need to be this much better than the next person, mm-hmm. right? So taking away the the victimization of what's happened and seeing how to then move on from that process. I think if you take these two things about Sharma, uh, you will understand the journey a lot better, right? Uh, so then my career started off in Sydney. I had the opportunity to work for a brilliant American company called Provisor. Um, mm-hmm. Like every middle-class Malaysian family, my parents also sent me overseas to go and study. Uh, I, to <laughs> um, I also had the opportunity to work there. Long story short, uh, again, the, the ability to, to look at an opportunity and say, hey, here's something to it, right? Uh, I then went back to the founders of that business and say, you know, I, I do some things for y'all already. Would it be okay for y'all if I go back uh, to Asia and set this up as my business, but use some of your products? Um, so that was the the impetus for what was the beginning of the Ascendo journey. Mm-hmm. Right? At that point, we were called Akin Solutions. Terrible name. Terrible name. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a bit arcane. With, everyone associated arcane with arcade, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, here were three young boys. Uh, we thought it was really cool to to uh, to have the name arcade because it was mysterious and knowledge known by very few. Um, and and it, it didn't work out anyway. Uh, so uh, arcade solutions at that point was predominantly reselling psychometrics assessment. So mm. I've always been in the space of talent or people measurement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then we were doing that a little bit uh, and then clients started you know, growing. And then we recognized that you know, just selling one part of the solution wasn't cutting it for them. Right? So we'd sell an assessment uh, and the clients would use it. They love it, but you know, it didn't solve a problem for them. It was a cog in the wheel. Yep. Um, so then we started the second iteration of the business, which was a custom dev house. Right. So we said, hey, here are products that we sell, but you know, it seems like you need something before and something after. Let's help you build these things out. Uh, mm-hmm. So we started building things like uh, applicant tracking systems. We started building performance management systems. Uh, and that was going relatively well. Now, bear in mind that uh, I'm not a technologist. Uh, neither are my co-founders. Okay. Uh, so, you know, getting into this was a huge learning for us, right? So I had to go on, take courses and, and making sure the guys that we were hiring was not, you know, over um, estimating things for us or underestimating sure, things sure. for us. Uh, you outsourced it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no, we, we never outsourced it, right? So uh, I think we were paranoid about the quality control. Mm. Uh, so we always had somebody come in and do the work, uh, okay. but just to make sure... 
uh, no one bullshitting you through the process. You know, you've yeah. got at least up your game a little bit, right? Sure, sure. Uh, and then uh, something really struck hard for us. Now, the, the work we typically do up to this point, and this was, you know, we started off in 2007, 2008, around that, uh, and we were doing this up to 2017, right? So a good nine, 10 years already. Um, if you think about Ascendo, uh, I always say think about it in a, in a pyramid. Mm-hmm. The very bottom of the pyramid, uh, the, the Simon Sinek journey, right? The, the why yep. of what we do, right? Uh, and to me, the why of what we do really is about giving people the opportunity to be the best versions of themselves at work. Um, and why, to me, that is important is because there's more than enough data out there to show families um, who are unhappy at work produce kids who are about 30% more likely to be bullies, right? Mm. And just that statistic as a parent scares the living daylight out of me, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how do you make sure you optimize work for people, right? Um, and so that meant to us, right people, right place, right time. Now, mm-hmm. everyone from recruitment companies to training companies say this, right? Um, so then we said, okay, uh, if that's the, the why, how are we going to achieve this? Um, so then we looked at only trying to solve for two things. Now, I spoke to you a little bit about my background. So mm-hmm. you will see that the, the, me pulling from history a little bit. Yeah? <laughs> the first thing that we look to solve for is managing for implicit bias. Okay. Right. Uh, we all have implicit bias. Sure. Uh, right? uh, it's our fight or flight uh, mechanism. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's it, a mental efficiency around having preconceived notions. Exactly. Right. But when you don't recognize that you have it and you start making decisions against that process, uh, then it becomes very inefficient. And so how do we manage for it? So that's why we're very careful not to use the word eliminate implicit bias because we don't want to eliminate it. We want to manage mm. it. Yep. Second thing is something that I'd like to say we, Ascendo, is championing uh, only because I've not heard of anyone else speak about this. Uh, and I speak about the, the management of the invisible leakage. Right? Mm. Uh, you get PwCs and Deloitte of the world going around doing audits for visible leakage. Right? You know, when you leave the room, you don't switch off the light. Uh, right. you know, for a big organization, that equates to $300,000 know, worth of um, electricity bill. Things like that. Right? You mm-hmm. steal from the company, what happens, you know, stationary, all that kind of stuff. The invisible leakage, as defined by Ascendo, is the delta between where someone ought to be when they have a job against where they typically are for whatever reason, right? Now, the malicious reason where, you know, are things like, you know, implicit bias, uh, you're my friend, so I'm giving it to you, Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. The the less malicious um, reasons is just lack of talent uh, or I just don't understand what the role requires, Mm. right? Uh, so, So it's not... Always malicious, um, the, the gap. Sometimes it's an innocent um, mistake, right? But because I don't have the right information pieces in front of me, uh, I don't make the right decisions. So that's the two problems we try and solve. And that's all. We don't pretend to try and do anything else, right? Okay. So initially, the hypothesis was these are the same things that we do. When we first started, we were selling psychometrics, and that's what we used to do. Uh, in our second iteration, uh, we were selling custom dev work. Um, and then this one moment happened. So sorry, sorry for, for going a, a little bit all over. No, 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 no. Just to give give the, the background and context. So as we were doing this work for companies, and typically we do work for large enterprises. Right? 
Uh, and I won't mention the, the company name or the region, uh, but we do work in Southeast Asia, right? So, mm-hmm. so it, it's around here. Sorry, not, not the region. I won't mention the country or the company name. <laughs> um, so we were doing this work and part of the work is to help the client identify a CFO successor. Okay. You know? Uh, and then we do the traditional model of going in, having done the assessments, having done the interviews, completed all of that process. Uh, we are now at the board meeting presenting the outcome. Right. right. So you yourself are interviewing the candidates. Yes. Yep. Okay. So this is the traditional model, right? So pre- sure. sure. The the high touch, uh, the consulting yes. model of HR recruiting. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we were doing all of this. And then mind you, we were already doing relatively well at that point, right? So sure. we're very comfortable as a business. Um, so huge client, tens of billions of US dollar kind of revenue business, right? So you would think the level of sophistication is extremely high. Mm. Uh, and for everything else, it is, right? <clears throat> and and we we finished the three-hour presentation. We're now getting decisions. So nine-person board, uh, and I'm going one by one, right? So mm-hmm. yay, yay, nay, yay, nay. Um, I'm getting yays all over. Uh, I reach person number seven. Person number seven says yay. Um and just before we go to person number eight and person number nine is the executive chair, right? Uh, just before person number eight answers, executive chair in passing just says one comment. Don't you think something's not right with this person? He wears pink all the time. <laughs> That's all he says, right? He, he has no evidence of lack of performance. He has no evidence of not being able to hold the job well. Nothing. He just says, do It's so this, this style of dress. <laughs> that, that I can remember word for word, right? Mm. Don't you think something's not right with this person? He wears pink all the time. And one by one, you see the direct <laughs> their decision. Right? Uh, can I change my vote now? <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and it wasn't as, as obvious as that, right? But they were going, actually, uh, if you think about this, you know, do you remember this time when he didn't do this? Mm-hmm. And the other person going, yeah, actually, you're right. You know, now, now that you say, I think about yeah. this. Like, where was this during deliberation? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and just like that. And this person didn't get the job, right? Mm. Because of a comment one person made. Now, I'm not talking about whether the chairman is right. That, that's not the, the point. Sure, right? sure. But... The comment one person made impacted a person's ability to get a job, mm. right? And that's when it hit us really hard, right? Because as a consulting firm, we do work for maybe eight, nine companies a year, yep. right? Yep. Uh, and, you know, this typically are big value tickets, right? So, you know. Sure, sure. You're getting success fee, pr- presumably, yeah. on right. that hire being completed. Yeah. So if it doesn't happen, you're like, oh, man. No, no, no. I mean, no, no, that wasn't. No, no. We, we don't get on the success of that hire. So, so it's a project anyway, right? So they're typically high value anyway because we're doing at board levels. Sure. Um, but so I, well, what I meant to say was, you know, we were already very comfortable, right? Mm. Uh, because ten projects a year at sure. This, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. We're very good already, but this hit us really hard because we said, look, if we are serious about our hypothesis. You know, giving people the opportunity to be the best versions of themselves at work. If mm-hmm. we're serious about how we do it, right? Managing for implicit bias and managing for invisible leakage. We are not really impacting that many companies by doing it this way, right? And that was, you know, the, the moment we sat down and said, let's repaint this tapestry, right? Well, mm-hmm. What is the next 10 years going to look like for us? Because if sure. we don't now start scaling, then, you know, 
does that mean we need to hire 20 times more people? That's mm-hmm. not an efficient way to scale. Uh, and this this really irritated us, right? Okay. So, uh, that means we're not really having an impact, right? Yeah. So let's, okay, let's take a step back. Look at what the next 10 years is going to be. Look at our hypothesis again. Is it still valid? Do people still care about these things, right? Mm-hmm. So look, our hypothesis still makes sense. The way we want to do it still makes sense. Um, the mode of transaction for us today doesn't make sense, right? So we said, okay, uh, can we take all of our learning over the last 10 years and implement it into some sort of system that we built? Mm-hmm. 2018, we started this journey. Uh, and we had a really, really wonderful partner client. Uh, Agziata came on board. So we presented this vision. Okay. Uh, and Agziata was, you know, really excited by it. Um, and, you know, at that time, Tanshi Jamal was the executive chairman and CEO. Uh, he is a statistician and a mathematician. Right. Uh, so, you know, he got really excited by this idea of really understanding how data can, can be used in, in identifying talent mobility, career pathing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, you know, working with Agziata as a uh, project client, let's see how we can use the, the cases within the organization to drive for an outcome. So did they come in as financial support? Because I know they used to operate a couple of entities that would provide financial support, come in as a financial sponsor, essentially, and also do internal projects with you. Or was it primarily on the project base of being able to have somebody to kind of test out this this new hypothesis on? Right. Mm. Uh, they, they paid for it, of course. Sure, uh, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but. No, they, they, there was no equity swap. There was no okay. nothing of that sort, right? So they looked at this as a way to solve some of their key problems. Uh, and here was a company that was willing to experiment a different way of doing things. Mm. Uh, so you know, the, the the first thing I want to say, you know, without somebody like Agjata, and, and I think that's what's important for a startup ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. Able to have somebody like that. Um, because mind you, we'd pitched this to about 15 other companies prior to going to Agatha, right? And everyone said, oh, Shama, we really love your hypothesis. Who else has done this? And I'm like, uh, no, we're talking to you first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, go and sell it to somebody else, then we'll come board. Yeah, right? there's a little bit more of a follower uh, <laughs> yeah. aspect yeah. than a leader aspect. You, you really need a couple of the corporates that are a bit more forward-thinking, innovative, and willing to try out something new. Right. And let's let's be honest. These corporates are big. the 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 value at risk of paying right. for a project like this is is pretty small, comparatively speaking. Exactly right. Uh, so look, uh, a huge thank you to to Agziata. And, and I hope you know more and more get on this bandwagon of testing hypothesis. Right. Yeah. If absolutely. you take the scientific approach of experimentation, mm. um, not everything is going to work. But if you don't experiment, you're never going to find out. Exactly. Uh, and Agziata was willing to do that, right? So, so that was brilliant. Uh, and with Agziata, what we got was, you know, an, a Southeast Asia perspective. Mm. Right? So we had to go mm-hmm. to, to Nepal and figure out how to solve a, a people problem there. We had to go to Indonesia and figure out how to solve a people problem there. Uh, and, you know, he had companies that had 500 people. He had companies that had 3,000 people. Uh, it, was, it was beautiful. Uh, it, it was a mess uh, for us because we were mm-hmm. learning how to do this. But it was a beautiful mess, right? Um, but then we said, look, now we understand if we can solve problem at the highest level, then we can cascade and simplify the, the use cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how Talent Pulse came about. So Talent Pulse is this talent intelligence platform okay. uh, that pretty much does two very simple things, right? Being able to diagnose the individual. And once I diagnose the individual, I then design what good is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, internally, we have a, a saying, 
uh, skills as the future currency for exchange. Uh, mm -hmm. We no longer care about job roles. Um, nobody cares about job roles anymore. Job roles evolve and change so much. Uh, but the underlying skills kind of move around different jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so skills is the future currency for exchange. So if you yep. take the skills and you're able to diagnose the individual and then overlay these two things, you're able to provide a command center for the individual, for the business, and for the leaders of the organization to understand how to maneuver that, that business. Mm -hmm. So that is essentially what we do. And that is our journey so far. And so when you're talking about that, does it still sit primarily on the recruitment side? Or are you also going, going past that to ongoing uh, talent management? So we actually, uh, our solution predominantly is for internal talent. Mm. Uh, we always work with the, the current team uh, that's already within the organization. It extends to recruitment. So we are actually the other way around, right? Okay. So we start with internal talent, design what good is supposed to be, uh, and then pass that across to the recruitment team to make sure the people they've start bringing into the organization also fit the same uh, point of view. Okay. Okay. So let me, let me ask on the, on the, on the component of understanding the individual. So you talked about the background of selling psychometric and, 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 and these, these sort of tools for analysis. Are you guys actually creating those at that point in time? And with, with the current product, how, how do you address, because, you know, when we talk about Nepal versus Indonesia versus these different countries, you know, there's a lot of nuance from one place to another. So standardizing psychometrics exams is also a bit of a challenge because oftentimes there's cultural differences that don't, that can kind of muddy the waters of some of these different questions. And is the translation accurate in order to put it into an individual's uh, local language? Uh, are they, is it, if you're doing it in English, well, it's a second language, is their interpretation? How do you guys unpack that? And do you have like uh, statisticians and behavioral psychologists on staff that help you kind of work through that? Yeah, thank you. Brilliant question. Uh, I, I hope more and more clients ask this kind of questions uh, <laughs> because this is a very pointed question, right? Uh, uh, as opposed to how, to, what's your price? <laughs> uh, so look, I, I, I love the question. So first things first, we are essentially a behavioral psychology based technology company. Yeah. So everything we do is about the behavioral psychology element. Right? Uh, so to answer your question, we do a couple of things. So I, I often say I take on the Tesla model and the um, Luxottica model, right? Mm. Uh, so the idea of the Luxottica model is, you know, the, there is a marketplace. I bring everything in. So whether it be Sunglass Hut or somewhere else, I, I build your, your I, I, I move your, your merch, right? Sure. Um, for those of, of you all who don't know who Luxottica is, they own, if you wear glasses, they probably own your glasses, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, I think the last check was about 92% of, of the spectacles market is owned by Luxottica. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's a lovely story. Anyway, then there's the Tesla point of view, right? Mm. Uh, where something can be commoditized, then we develop our own, right? So the way we look at something is where there is high IP, uh, we don't try and replicate Right. So our aim, and again, uh, I told you I used to be in the psychometric space, right? Mm -hmm. And I came from the sales uh, side of things. Sure. Now, whether it be in Australia or, or here, uh, anyone yeah, you speak to in, in, in uh, this field will, will tell you they're the best, they're the biggest, they're world's number one. 
uh, to a point, you know, I used to almost go out and say, buy my product, I can solve world hunger and cure cancer. Uh, <laughs> right? uh, so, so it's always a function of salesmanship, right? So mm-hmm. now Sharma turns up, you know, he, he does a nice song and dance. Uh, you know, oh, suddenly this product is really good. Kevin turns up, uh, you know, throws on a little bit more of, of an accent, uh, you know, and says, hi, I'm Dr. Kevin. And suddenly <laughs> his product is better, right? Uh, you know, especially in Southeast Asia, mm. the understanding or the maturity in buying psychometrics is still very, very nascent, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and we, many of us thrive on that process, right? Because it's a functional salesmanship. So when we decided we wanted to do this, we decided that we were not going to participate in this salesmanship anymore, right? Uh, it is very important that if we believe in our hypothesis, that we now become the curator of what we believe are some of the biggest, best tools available globally. Mm-hmm. Right? So what we did is we developed an assessment marketplace, uh, so as of today, we've got about 1,600 different tests from 11 different tool providers across the world, right? Yeah. Um, and our team, so you said, do you have statisticians? Do you have mm-hmm. psychologists? Uh, the team internally who are of these people uh, go in and validate these claims. So when mm-hmm. company A comes out and says, hey, look at my test, it can do this. Our occupational psychologists actually go in and validate for this process. If it does then we integrate it into our system because okay. you know, again, there's a lot of salesmanship going on out there. There's a lot of you know people claiming a lot of things that are mm-hmm. not very true, right? Sure. Uh, so we want to make sure that the tools on the platform are secure, are valid, and are reliable, right? Because mm-hmm. people are using this to make decisions about other people. Sure, sure. And when when you when you are working with a client, are you doing like a Frankenstein's monster sort of uh, aspect where you're taking a few of these different service providers, bundling them up based upon the specific needs case that they have, or how is it? So initially, when we launched, um, yes, that was the case. Uh, we are productizing it more and more that we are enabling the customer to go in and say, "Hey, look, this is a problem." how do I solve this problem? And then the system automatically kind of uses decision tree to help you uh, cut through that, that okay. pain. So you you almost like, you know, a kid in an arcade, uh, you've gotten all your tokens, you've got all the games now, mm-hmm. uh, you decide what is more important for you and where you want to spend your, your tokens, right? Yeah, yeah. But coming back to your technical part, right? About mm. the different countries, different nuances. Sure. Right? Uh, that's where the decisions come to play, right? Uh, and you know, being able to break it down within country, within function, within levels is very, very important for us. So, uh, you know, de- depending on the country, depending on the company, sometimes somebody like Alziata says, "Look, we are across the region, right? So a a director within our company should be able to move anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So I want a point of view where it's across Asia." Right, but the Nepal head of HR may say, "Hey, look, I'm trying to figure out whether this person can move vertically. Uh, can you now segment the data just by country?" Right? right. So being able to help them figure all this out is equally important. Right. So mm-hmm. the the kind of data segregation that happens within the system, how you simplify that for usage within the organization, uh, is also very very important. Okay. Okay. 
so so okay so you're you you've transitioned into this space and i want to touch on the salesmanship aspect because i think a common thing with most SaaS providers most people that are kind of selling into enterprise in in southeast asia where let's be honest digitalization is relatively low there's it's very new conceptually you reference that with axiata versus some of the other folks that were out there when you're now like getting ready to go out to market you know, tell me a little bit about how you started getting the awareness and the interest built among additional clients. You had this existing base already because you were you were operating under more of a consulting model. But then when you transition, now you kind of kind of build up the awareness and interest around a new product. Tell me about how you actually got out there, the marketing steps, the sales steps. How did you do it? Sure. Um, I think when we first launched, uh, again, Huge learnings for us, right? Um, we were overly, I, I won't say cocky. Uh, we were overly excited. Then, you know, first client, Axiata, mm. uh, right? Uh, which then automatically meant to us that, you know, every other big enterprise organization was going to do this. Um, we launched in May, June of 2019. Okay. March 2020, everything shut. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> And that was a huge, great timing, huge learning for us, right? Yeah, uh, painful. Uh, so I, again, not everything is is roses, right? Uh, sure. So, but what was really exciting for us is, you know, when we built, and I'll be honest about this, right? When we built the product, a lot of the building revolved around a bullish market, right? So big talent mobility, career pathing. I want to enable that. How do I drive this? Uh, what we realized is, you know, clients were creative enough to look at the solution and say, look, in a bearish market, how can we use something like this? Mm -hmm. Uh, And they helped us drive that component. So I don't want to take credit for something I didn't do. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the the two years during COVID, uh, a lot of the work revolved around optimization, efficiency creation, uh, and and so on, right? And that was designed by the clients themselves. Okay. Uh, and I think that helped a lot, even in our fundraising, mm-hmm. because now you're able to show a product that is almost recession-proof, right? Right, and validated um, by the customer since they correct. help steer. Yeah. So there's a bull market use case and there's a bear market use case. Uh, and that was really interesting for us. Uh, as we came out, so 2021 was really interesting for us, correct? Mm-hmm. As we came out of 2020, everyone stopped panicking and realized you know, things have to keep moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we felt our ducks were now aligned, right? So the the marketing push then, we recognized some of the key traits that were important for us, right? So we said, look, if you're talking about talent, uh, it is then important to understand uh, the level of maturity of the organization, right? So what is the CEO agenda? That was the first thing we looked at, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a very difficult piece of information to go and get, yeah. uh, right? So, so the two key things that we looked at, what is the CEO's agenda, and the second part is who does the CHRO report into? If the CHRO reports into the COO, um, whilst we'd love them to be a client, we think now is not the time, right? Because mm-hmm. we want to look at CHROs who report directly to the CEO first. Um, that's a proxy to us of the importance of people in the organization. Right? Um, so coming back to your question about, you know, you've been around, so how do you get clients? we deliberately decided that the first 10 customers we were going to get were not going to be customers we had previously. 
Because okay. it's very easy to go and say, hey, guys, you know us for the last four or five years. We've built something new. Come on board. Yeah, um, low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Right? So we did it to test the hypothesis. And I guess this is the product market fit testing time, right? Okay. Uh, to test that hypothesis, we went to new customers, right? Uh, and we ran a whole... So our marketing is pretty much on HubSpot, uh, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so we run a full lead generation, MQL, SQL journey. Yep. Uh, a typical SaaS demand generation process. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and we wanted to see if we could get people interested and excited about this process. Uh, so the first ten new customers, enterprise customers, value, uh, were new customers, right? Then we started diving deeper into them, getting the use cases and understanding. Hey, okay, this is real. Then we went back to our old customers and said, Hey, we've got a new product. Would you be interested? Uh, so that was pretty much the journey for the first two years. Mm-hmm. I think 23 onwards um, is going to be, we are still relatively Malaysia heavy, uh, but we do work in Indonesia, Singapore, India, and Turkey. Yeah. Uh, so India and Turkey is purely through partnerships. Uh, and we are very cognizant that, you know, as a SaaS product, uh, we cannot be the only source of, you know, badge collection. Uh, yeah. Customer acquisition, right? Uh, so we're looking at how to build strong partnerships across uh, the region first, and then figuring out how to grow global through that process. So the aspiration okay. is global. Uh, okay. You say you've been in Malaysia long enough. Um, <laughs> there's a term in Malaysia called Jago Kampung. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I despise that term. I hate it. Um, yeah, it, which is which is basically like national champion. It, 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 there's so a default your, assumption that Malaysia doesn't build for the world. It builds yeah. just for Malaysia, which is an entirely untrue, but it's a very prevalent, unfortunately. Right. So, so you know, uh, and and there's many stories of how VCs have have looked at us and said, "Oh, really? You're a brilliant business, but if you were based somewhere else, won't mention country names, you know, I'd give you a higher valuation." Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, and so on, so forth. I'm going. No, uh, Malaysia. I'm based here. All right. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 true. Uh, a lot of people call it the the Malaysia discount, and it's partly because of the same 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 reputation of it builds as national champions, not global players. So if the if the assumption is that your TAM is capped, and so your your maximum opportunity, so it ends up driving that, which is a, which is a very unfortunate thing that we need to work hard to 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 break. Hopefully, more of these podcasts ends up in the ears of them of of those sorts of folks, so that we can demonstrate that we have uh, businesses that are clearly not fitting that mold. Correct, correct. Well, yeah. So, so you know, aspiration is global, but we are very cautious. Uh, mm. I'm trying to be as calculated as possible. Money is now not as cheap as it used to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so we want to be careful how we do this as well. Okay, and on on the on the strategy in order to fill the top of funnel, I mean, it's it's one thing to 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 kind of run them through the 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 process of the MQL and the SQL and all of that. But when you're trying to fill that top of funnel, what what are your main uh, lead generation sources? Is it kind of the old fashioned? Let's let's call up some corporates because we're doing enterprise. Maybe it's a little bit of the bigger enterprise section, or is there like an inbound lead uh, channel that you you heavily focus on as well? Yep. Uh, so there there is an inbound lead uh, section uh, that, funnily enough, is generating a lot of interest for us in the Middle East. Okay. Um, right. Uh, so Indonesia, India, Middle East is where our inbound um, is, is really exciting. Okay. Uh, 
not done anything special for these countries. You know, those it, it just so happens that that's who's yeah <laughs> really looking for these things, right? Yeah. Um, so that that's really uh, interesting. Uh, but also the the traditional, you know, picking up the phone. But also, I think we have the luxury of being in the business for fifteen years. Okay. Um, right. So you know, it's not a, a new business coming into market. Somebody's not heard of you. Uh, we're not trying something new. Uh, people know us. Um, mm-hmm. What is interesting now is we are trying to break this in in new countries, right? So in Singapore, people mm-hmm. have not heard of Asendo. Uh In Indonesia, no one's really heard of Asendo. India, Turkey, Middle East, right. no one's really heard of Asendo. So now being able to to replicate the growth that we've had in Malaysia in these countries is a really exciting point to to hypothesis uh, evidence, right? Yeah. Uh, you're now saying, look, it, it, the product's working. There is product market fit, and we're now growing through this journey. Yeah, yeah. Basically, trying to take the playbook that you used here in Malaysia, where you're where you're quite heavy on, and seeing how you copy paste that into a new geography with tweaks. Of with course. yeah, 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 yeah. Some sort of Pareto principle, eighty twenty style thing, where there's there's obviously going to be some nuance to to an individual market. Hopefully, as little as possible, because every adjustment is a, is is a cost. In fact, so, well, what we've actually realized the. The tweaking is not with the product. The okay. tweaking is with the messaging. Within the messaging, yeah, yeah. So it's more the it's more it's more the go to market motion as opposed to the product market fit. Yeah, or at least that that's our experience. Mm. Right? I don't think that's that's the same with everyone else. Yeah, um, that's what we're seeing. Uh, right. So yes, you know, in Turkey, say for example, sorry, we've had to translate it to Turkish, uh, but mm. that's not as sure. difficult as you know changing the system. Mm. Of the program. Yeah. Um, India is, is a different market segment that we're working with, uh, things like yeah. that. So it's really the messaging um, that, that we found the tweaking needs to happen in. Yeah. I do you find, I, 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 ha- I have to ask this part because uh, you're, you're kind of built around behavioral psychology. Do you run any sort of behavioral psychology analytics around the individuals that would be in the buyer seat at the organizations that you're targeting? We do. <laughs> <laughs> I shall not say too much, <laughs> but we do. I mean, I mean, uh, technically, we are a behavioral psychology firm, right? So if we don't, if we don't figure that out, um, then well, what's what's the use of being a behavioral psychology firm? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, that's a bit of salesmanship. Any good salesman does a little bit of research on who they're talking to, so that they can say the right thing, mention the right interests, and be able to convert. It's just a matter of how sophisticated in that are you getting. Correct. Very cool. Very cool. I'll, I'll, I'll give some away, right? Um, really, the, the things we look for um, mm. is is genuine concern, right? Yeah. Um, and and that translates to conscientiousness mm. um, and in the ability to want to actually do something good, right? Because there are many yeah. many people who, you know, they they call them you know Facebook or LinkedIn leaders. Yeah. And they're always on LinkedIn. They're always doing something. They're always oh, yeah. doing something. Uh, but nothing much happens. Uh, mm. And then there are those who, yes, while do all of that, actually do some really interesting work, right? Mm. Uh, so we, we look for that genuine concern and try and figure how we connect that to conscientiousness. Uh, and that leads to better closure for us. Okay. I'll, give you, I'll give you one. one yeah, one. yeah. Do you, do you do you find that as you as you look at other markets that the that the ideal customer persona, whether it's in size of organization, the industry vertical, is it pretty consistent based upon what you're seeing 
currently, or does that also shift based upon geography? For us, I think there is one constant, right? Uh, And that constant is industries that are most disrupted by digitization. Okay. Uh, And typically, they sit within the telco and the banking space. Okay, okay. Or financial institutions, not just banking. So so typically, they sit within telco and the financial institution space. Uh, These are the ones that are very impacted by digitization. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, I have an article somewhere floating on the internet uh, that talks about are you a contender or a pretender of Mm. the digital economy, right? Uh, So that's where we see the one constant. Uh, But other than that, of course, each country will have its own small nuances. But the biggest is that who gets disrupted by digitization the most. Okay, okay. Let, let, let me transition here and do, do something that's a little bit more forward looking. And I'm, I'm going to give you kind of a pretty open, uh, open question. So do with it what you will. But when you look at the organization and you're starting to scale internationally and so forth, how do you define success as an organization? What does that mean for you? Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to sound like a romantic here. Uh, <laughs> I don't well, whilst, whilst financial metrics is, is, is always going to be important, right? Sure. Uh, I, I've, the last time I had an honest conversation with somebody, I said, imagine the value of us being able to achieve our hypothesis with a million companies. Mm. Uh, and, you know, our core market is a thousand men and above, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if we eventually get to serve a thousand people um, in a million companies. That's about 50% of the workforce that you're working with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that to me is success, right? That to me, it's, and, and again, that translates to a lagging indicator of, yes, sure, financially, we're doing amazingly well. Uh, but that impact to me is where we want to really strive, right? Okay. Um, every time I say this, uh, investors go, okay, what does that number translate to? <laughs> right? um, investors are investors after have, all. Give me the bottom and line. We that, and we have that number, right? Uh, so, so to me, really, I think the the biggest metric for success to me is when people look at what we do, and they don't look at it as a HR technology. Uh, they look at it as work technology. Hmm. I, I think the, the last statistic is about 2.5 billion people now working. Uh, right? and, and if I now can impact that many people, uh, then it, it's really interesting. Right? So the, at the back of our mind, we've always had this Tableau model. So Tableau used to only sell to CTOs and CIOs of the organization. Yep. Uh, and they figured out how to, to get into selling to managers. Mm. Right? Um, and whilst we're not trying to replicate that, it, they've broken that, that barrier between, hey, here's a BI tool to here's how you understand anything. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, that's really what we are trying to aim for. Uh, this is not, for, for me, uh, and I don't know if, if you can see this. Yeah. Yeah, people. So it's always is people technology at work, not mm. HR technology, right? Yeah. Um, so so that that's always the aim, and that's what we we want to be able to do. So in the back of my mind, that's that's success. Yeah. And if you get to do that, then all the financial models come together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. 
Very cool. Uh, this has been fantastic. Let me wrap up with my standard closing questions here. And the first one is, what is a tech tool that you just cannot live without? Uh, <clears throat> I honestly uh, am not the most um, tech person. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I always say WhatsApp. Uh, I, my, my team hates this. My team hates this. We've got Slack. We've got Jira. We've got uh, Confluence. We've got... Yeah, yeah. And you're um, stuck in WhatsApp. Because <laughs> uh, to me, uh, a decision made quickly is a decision yeah. executed quickly. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I go back to the basics. Um, so, yeah. whilst, whilst processes and all, uh, you know, the, the Venn diagram of people, tech and process. Uh, so, I always say tech enables people and process, right? Don't mm. let tech drive anything yeah 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 okay <laughs> then i i go back to what but you know my, my team will say confluence yeah okay 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 very cool a uh, last question here is if you were to talk to another startup founder that's just getting going what would the, be the biggest piece of advice that you could offer i will share the best piece of advice i got <clears throat> and, I, and i got this from a gentleman called uh venu kopal Mm-hmm. Uh, he's um, the founder construction company. So it was a very traditional business. Uh, but, you know, he, he's an engineer by profession, you know, built Jalil, built the first LRT and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a construction firm. So he was actually my very, very first client back in 2007, 2008 or 2,500 ringgit. Um, and he spoke about entre- entrepreneurship in a way that stuck with me, right? He said, do this if the pain it's going to cost you Sorry, if, if you love what you do more than pain, it's ever going to cost you. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's a, that's that's a very good point because building a startup is incredibly hard. You're going to have to go through a lot. I mean, the the stress, all the burdens are sitting on top of your shoulders. If you can, if if it's worth it, you'll be able to power through it. Yeah. Right. So, so you know, while you know, I, I don't believe in this. You know, follow your passion because my passion was football and cars. Uh, if I followed that, I wouldn't be here. Um, you know, but when you find something meaningful and you're willing to really push through that process, then it becomes interesting. Then it becomes exciting, right? Um, and I say now, after COVID, you can't shake my will, and I know very, very clearly this is what I want to do, right? Um, that two years really tested me uh, as an entrepreneur, right? Um, coming on the other side of it, I know now you can say whatever you want. I know this is what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I I absolutely love that piece of advice, Sharma. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. I really appreciate you coming out and and sharing your journey with us. Thank you. I I hope it was worth anyone's time one day. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much. All right, that wraps it up for another fantastic episode of The Sea of Startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, go on to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. It's the best way for us to get discovered and to have these startup stories reach a broader audience. If you have any suggestions or would like to get in touch, you can email me at kevin at indelible.vc. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Brocklin from Indelible Ventures, and this is The Sea of Startups.